worship in its purest form cannot be measured by what you see on the outside. I do believe that we are in order when we express our worship through jumping and clapping and running and and, and, and demonstrative ways. But if, if that were the standard whereby we measure whether or not we're worshiping, whether you can run so fast, you can jump, you can do X, Y, and Z, then we would eliminate a lot of people who are physically unable to do that. And so God would never require something that everyone could not do. So worship is a heart thing. That's why you have somebody that may not be able to run, may not be able to jump, may not be able to roll, but they can just lift their hands and they can connect in worship in their heart. And the Holy Ghost sees that as beautiful in the sight of the Lord. Amen. I'm not saying we ought to get rid of all the demonstrative stuff. That's that's in order. But we cannot lose the heart of worship. When our heart connects with God, amen, in that intimate, beautiful way, and I feel that touch of the Lord here today, amen. Thank you for being here in Sunday school. If you have your Bibles, here's what I want you to do with me. You can stay seated. You can, you can be seated. We're going to continue through the book of Acts, but if you have your Bible, I'm asking you as nicely as I can, please bring the word of the Lord to church with you. Uh, as, I, as I go through uh, the book of Acts, I don't want you to read it here. If you have your Bible, I want you to read it in your Bible along with me. There's just something about reading it in these pages that it brings comfort and strength. And there's something about having marks in a Bible. I get worried if I see a Bible and there ain't a single mark in it. Because I mark it, I pray through it, I weep over it, and you can have a connection with the Lord through your Bible. Amen. We're in Acts chapter 2. Just to recap, Peter just preached his first sermon in church history. First sermon. And multitudes are responding. And since the early church had no New Testament yet, he appealed to the Old Testament. And if you remember, he started his message with Joel and he ended it with Jesus. He said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. They knew what that was because that was Old Testament. But then he bridged it and he ended it with Jesus. He preached who the Lord was and how they could call upon his name for salvation. Acts 2.21 says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 40 says, Many other words that he exhorts, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward Generation. This is not the end of Peter's preaching, but it is the because the new birth is just a birth into the kingdom of God. We still have to grow up and we've got to obey God's commandments to be saved 
from this untoward generation. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to grow up. Living for God should be a continual maturing process, right? Now, you in, in the physical sense, if you're in your 60s, you ought not act like you're in your teens. Amen? Why? Because society expects you to grow up. And so the same is true in living for the Lord. God expects you to grow up. You know, when I teach Bible studies and when I deal with new converts, you got to give them just the simplest little bit of milk. Because do you realize there's people out there that don't even know what's in this book? I cannot start lesson one with a theological exegesis on the Godhead because that will, I will lose them at, very, at the very beginning. But 10 years into it, five years into it, they ought to be able to digest more than just a little bit of milk. Amen? Let's go to Acts 2, 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, daily, such as should be saved. The early church did more than make converts. They made disciples. These people literally invested everything they had into the church. And so the Christians that we read of in the book of Acts were not content to just meet that one day a week or that one time a week for just services, but they met daily, they cared daily, they won souls daily, they searched the scriptures daily, they increased in number daily because their Christian faith was a day-to-day relationship. So it is with the Lord living today is if all we're doing is living for God on Sunday and Wednesday, we don't have a relationship with the Lord. We've got visitation, but we don't have a relationship with the Lord. And so if we do what we're supposed to do every day, then God does what only He can do every day. Now, I realize that life happens. And there may be a day where you don't pray like you know you're supposed to or read your Bible like you're not supposed to. And here's what the enemy will do. He'll jump on one little missed opportunity and he'll start condemning you. We all know what that's like. And then he'll plant the seed and we do the rest. We beat ourselves up. God's not sitting here with an attendance book with a check, putting checks on who checked in with him every day, okay? That, we can't view God like a legalistic God. 
I, I know my, my grandmother uh, kept a list on who called her on her birthday, what family members called her. And you wanted to make the list. Well, God's not like that. You can't view God in legalistic terms because then everything is done through ritualism and rules. God is a loving Father. Yes, He desires fellowship. Yes, He desires to hear. But He's not waiting to beat you over the head and send lightning bolts if you miss a day. You know what you do? You just pick yourself up, pray, read your Bible, and keep living for God. It's relationship. It's not ritualism. Let's go to Acts chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Now, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. Now, this is not an apostolic prayer meeting. This is a Jewish prayer meeting. Psalm 55, 17 gives us insight into how the Jews pray. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. These events are a fulfillment of Acts 2, 47, because you're not going to find people more devoted than Jews. Now, they don't have the fullness of truth. They're still waiting on that Messiah. But they have a devotion to Jehovah, and they pray every day. In Acts 3 and 4, immediately after the day of Pentecost, the emphasis is now on the name of Jesus Christ. This is not a coincidence. A name is much more than just identification, but it carries with it authority and power. So the first concern of the first Christian, the first Christians was to give glory to the name of the Lord. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Peter and John are often found together in the Gospels. They were partners in the fishing business in Luke 5 and 10. They prepared the last Passover for Jesus in Luke 22 and 8. They ran to the tomb on the first Easter Sunday morning, John 20, verse 3 and 4, and they would later minister to the Samaritans who believed on Jesus Christ in Acts 8, 14. And now that they were filled with the Holy Ghost, the apostles no longer were competing for greatness, but rather were at last working faithfully to build the church. They were on their way to prayer, not on their way from prayer. But prayer meeting is not the only time that Christians should pray. 
If all you're doing is praying before church, you're in a bind. When I come into a prayer meeting before service, that's not my time for me and God to deal with me. That's my time for me and God to pray for the service, to pray for the lost souls, to pray for an atmosphere to be made right so God can move. That's not my time to deal with private stuff. You deal with private stuff between you and the Lord. Amen. Here the lame man is expecting a good deed. Some money, some change, some alms. But here he receives a greater miracle. Let's keep reading. Verse number four. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. They were all filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. So let's look at this. They said, silver and gold have I none. Why? Because the Bible told us they had all things common. They got rid of all of their belongings and gave it to those that had need. They had, they were, they had all things common. Now, this place put up there, John 10, 23, if you can, Brother Greg. This place, just, it just got through telling us in verse number 11. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. Now, look, look, let's look at John 10, 23. It says, and Jesus walked in the temple, where? In Solomon's porch. So if the lame man that got healed was right here in Solomon's porch, and Jesus walked in the same temple, in the same porch, why didn't Jesus heal him? Because he walked right by him. Because the Bible said, whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple. So, if he was there every day, do you think Jesus went to the temple more than once in his life? Yes, Jewish custom, went to the temple, walked by the same man. Now, I'll tell you why I didn't heal him. It's the same reason when he went earlier in the book of John, 
where the blind man sat there and they said, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, this man didn't sin, nor did his parents sin, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And he put mud in his eyes and told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. I'll tell you why Jesus walked by this man and didn't heal him. It's not that he didn't have the knowledge. It's not that he didn't have the ability. He knew that there would come another point in time where he was going to use this opportunity to prove how powerful his name was and to silence all of the critics and to, and to launch the revival in the book of Acts. We cannot get discouraged when God does not operate on our timeline. This man could have easily heard and probably did hear of all the miracles that Jesus did, yet he watched the Lord just pass him by and pass him by. But the Lord knew exactly where he was at. And he used this man and his situation to launch the church. The lame man went with them into the temple, verse 8. It is always the purpose of miracles and money to bring people into church fellowship. Hear me. We're not interested in crowds just to get crowds. We are interested in crowds so we can preach the gospel unto every creature like the Bible says. Amen? Peter turns to the temple. He turns that temple into a courtroom. And he lays out all the evidence for everybody to see. We ask ourselves, how could two ordinary fishermen perform such a great miracle? I tell you, by the power of the name Jesus. When you look at the disciples, first off, they were not all 12 single men. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus went and paid, prayed for Peter's mother-in-law that was sick. So we know that he was a married man. He had a, he had a livelihood. He was a fisherman. But he had 12 unique personalities. God does not want a church full of everybody that's just alike. There will be people that you don't get along with in church. Anybody know anybody? Such is life. But what makes us common is not in our ability. It's through the power of the name Jesus that he puts in every one of our hearts and that we all have access to. So we don't need to go look for a church or look for a people that is just like us. We need to realize that God put every person in his kingdom for such a time as this and gave them the same power and the same authority that the disciples had. We just have to learn to use the name of Jesus. Amen? Clap your hands unto the Lord. Let's keep reading with verse number 12. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, 
whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the prince of life whom God hath raised from the dead whereof we are witnesses. And his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Verse 3, they said, look on us. Verse 12, they said, why look ye on us? And what they were saying was this, we will minister to you, but we don't want the attention from you. The whole purpose of ministry is I will minister to you, but I don't want your attention. My whole purpose is to get you connected to him. And where we get messed up is when people start thinking that it's about them. It's not. When people are up here singing, if you watch it, usually what happens is they sing, we clap. Sing again, we clap. Well, if people ever start thinking we're clapping for them. That's when they start getting prideful. Because we clap, we're not saying good job. This ain't a concert. When you go to a, a musical or you go to any type of concert, when you clap, you're telling them good job, good job, bravo. But here we ain't clapping for people. We're clapping to worship him and to honor him. If we ever start thinking we're applauding people, we're wrong. Everything we do is to get people connected to the Lord. In verse number 12, they said, hey, it's not our own power, and it's not our own holiness. We didn't do this. They said he did this. This name through faith in his name. There's an old Hebrew saying that says this, himself is his name, and his name is himself. And they were trying to reiterate to them that this had nothing to do with who they were. They were the same people that went to that temple every day. But this time that trip to the temple was different because they had been endued with power from on high. Let's keep reading verse 17. And now, brethren, I walk that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he had so fulfilled. Numbers 15, 28 says, And the priest shall make an atonement for the soul that sinneth ignorantly, when he sinneth by ignorance before the Lord to make an atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. Luke 24, 27 and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Amen. I read a poem that I, I just fell in love with. It's called He Is. In Genesis, he's the breath of life. In Exodus, the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. Numbers fire by night. Deuteronomy, he's Moses' voice. In Joshua, he's salvation's choice. Judges, lawgiver. In Ruth, the kinsman redeemer. First and second, Samuel, our trusted prophet. 
In Kings and Chronicles, he's sovereign. Ezra, a true and faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of broken walls and lives. In Esther, he is Mordecai's courage. In Job, the timeless redeemer. In Psalms, he's our morning song. In Proverbs, wisdom's cry. Ecclesiastes, the time and season. In the Song of Solomon, he's the lover's dream. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. In Lamentations, the cry for Israel. Ezekiel, he's the call from sin. In Daniel, the stranger in the fire. In Hosea, he is forever faithful. In Joel, he is the spirit's power. In Amos, the arms that carry us. In Obadiah, he's the Lord our Savior. In Jonah, he's the great missionary. In Micah, the promise of peace. In Nahum, he is our strength and shield. In Habakkuk and Zephaniah, he's the leading for revival. In Haggai, he restores the lost heritage. In Zechariah, our fountain. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. Friend, it does not matter what book of that Old Testament you turn to. You're going to find Jesus interspersed throughout every one of those books. And everything that happens in that Old Testament, it's pointing you back to that New Testament. It's pointing you to that kinsman redeemer. It's pointing you to that Jesus, the God of our salvation. I think we ought to take a moment and clap our hands and give the Lord high praise right now. Oh, I'm thankful that I know who Jesus is. Hallelujah. Verse 19, chapter 3. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive under the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. The whole reason Jesus does miracles, the whole reason the church experiences miracles, is not to just wow people with the power of God, but to bring people to a place of repentance and conversion. Supernatural miracle that started Acts chapter 3. But here, he's saying, repent ye therefore. Their hearts were pricked. Their hearts were stirred. What happened here? Who did this? And the whole point is to get them to a place. See, repentance is a turning from. Conversion is a turning to. So when we repent, we don't just turn from, we turn to God. And we are converted. 1 Thessalonians 1 and 9, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Scripture talks about the times of refreshing. This is dealing with revival. This is the first coming of Christ. We are in that time of refreshing. But then there's the time of restitution or restoration, the second coming of Christ. Hey, friend, the disciples had a revelation. 
of the oneness of God. Now, I want to I want to tell you this. Because I've dealt with people that you could explain it line by line and draw it out on a, on a board, and they never saw it. And people got, I know people that would get so frustrated because they didn't know how else to explain it. But there's a difference in knowledge and revelation. We can give somebody knowledge. You go to school to get knowledge. But you can't give somebody revelation. God has to peel that veil back. Just like how many times have you read that Bible and you've read it cover to cover and you know you read every line. You had the knowledge, but then one day you're reading it and all of a sudden something jumps out to you. You know what happened? God peeled the veil off your eyes because you were in a season that you were ready to see that revelation in that book. So don't get upset at people that don't see it like you see it and don't understand it like you understand it. You just pray that God would continue to open their eyes to the revelation of his truth. Amen? Amen. Acts 22, I mean Acts 3, 22, for Moses Truly said unto the fathers, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear the prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after as many as have spoken have likewise foretold of these days. Peter is here quoting Deuteronomy 18. Verse 15 through 22, he's quoting it about Moses and pointing to Jesus Christ as a prophet like unto Moses. All the prophets pointed to him. Everything in the Old Testament was pointing forward to the New Testament, pointing towards Jesus. And later on, Peter will write these words about the prophets. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Peter's saying everything, everything ever a prophet wrote in that Old Testament. They had no idea how it was going to come to pass. But they were divinely inspired of God to pen those words. And it's Jesus that bridges that New Testament and holds the hand between the old and the new. This is why the Bible says there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There was one perfect lamb. There was one who was spotless and blameless and without, without spot, without blemish. And he's that bridge whereby we can cry, Abba, Father. He's that one, the Bible says, if any man sin, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, 
the righteous. Amen. Acts 3, 25. I'm trying to hurry to make it through this. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. What Peter was saying was this. He's talking to Jews. He said, if anybody should get this, it should be you. You should be the ones that understand what's going on. But the Bible said he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Stand with me right now. It's easy for us to point fingers at the Jews and say, How can you be, how could you be so blind? How could you be so ignorant and unresponsive? Here Jesus showed up, manifest in the flesh. And the Bible says that all he could do was work a few miracles in their midst. And the Bible says he marveled at their unbelief. But do you know I've been in services where Jesus came unto his own and they received him not? Oh, they sang. They preached. They ran, they jumped, they did everything that they were supposed to do to go through the mechanics of church. But there's something called following the Spirit where Jesus starts moving upon people, knocking on heart's doors. And if we're not careful, we'll be just like those Jews and we'll shut them out when he's trying to do a work in the midst of his people. So we can't, we can't look at at the Jews and point fingers when we're all in this building have been guilty at times of God coming and trying to minister to us and we were so caught up in whatever we were caught up in that we just shut God right out of the equation. Hey, you cannot measure the anointing by goosebumps. You cannot measure the anointing by the volume of a speaker or the beat of a drum, or how loud a person sings. Because I've been in services where they were huckabucking all across the place, and God was nowhere near them. Because we, we have confused emotionalism with anointing. I don't want just to work up our emotions. I want the Holy Ghost to come in this place. And I want to be a part of a church that knows just how to follow the Holy Ghost and to respond to the Spirit and to let the Lord have His way regardless of what we want. We, yes, we have some type of a service outline, but I think you know me well enough by now that we'll throw a service schedule out the window if it means God steps in this place and God goes to ministering to people. We want God to have preeminence in everything that we do, amen? Oh, come on, let's clap our hands and love the Lord right now. Oh, we worship you.
Jesus. You are wonderful. You are great. You are excellent, Lord. Amen. I notice I'm closing. If you realize, if you we, we skipped over it, the only thing that was stopping this man from getting into the presence of God was his ankles. Because when he got healed, the Bible says immediately his ankle bones received strength. Compared to the body, the ankle is such a small part. And some people let the smallest things in their life hinder them from getting fully into that temple, into that place of divine worship. We can't let, what does the Bible say? It's the little foxes that spoil the vines. We cannot let little things stop us from getting where God wants us to be in our daily relationship. And This much I know, if you let one little thing lay dormant, then there's going to be another thing. Then there's going to be another. And it's going to create this snowball, what they call the snowball effect. A snowball starts with a snowflake. And it starts rolling downhill. And it'll start picking up more and more and more and more until it turns into a, a nearly a boulder size if left unattended. And so it is in the spirit. We can't let any small thing hinder us from getting to where God wants us to be. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. One more time, clap your hands unto the Lord. God, we love you. We worship you. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you take just a few moments and greet one another as we prepare to transition in our service. Thank you.